morning, all you lovely people. We were away last weekend, so it feels great. I'm buzzing. It feels great to be back in church. We had the rare privilege of waking up on Saturday morning with all of our adult children under one roof to celebrate our son's 27th birthday. And if you're the parents of adult children, you'll know what an incredible privilege that is. We also got to tick off a bucket list item. Our daughter is clearly one of God's favorite children and she was online when the Nadal Federer tickets were released. And within one minute, she had six seats in row 13. If there's any time to be jealous, this is okay. And then in the next minute, she secured another six seats for a girl sitting next to her so that her friend got to go as well with her family. But that particular evening was obviously a phenomenal event, not just to be amongst 50,000 happy South Africans, which is amazing, unlike the Sonar event. <laughs> but I had started preparing this particular talk um, the Monday before that, and so I was looking at that event through slightly different eyes. And as I looked at Nadal and Federer and Bill Gates, and Trevor Noah, as we willed every shot that Bill Gates hit over the net, <laughs> praying that it would go over. But as I looked at those great men, I was absolutely overcome by the amount of courage that has gone in behind the scenes to get them to that particular place. The sheer grit, the tenacity, the quiet moments, the what they have done in their other moments that nobody has seen. And I wondered how many times each of those men might have hit the wall and wondered if they were really doing what they were supposed to be doing. Surely there must be an easier way to go about things. And this particular talk this morning is entitled Courage, Dear Heart. And if that's a familiar title, it's because it is from an author called C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Did any of you read them to your children when they were growing up? I sometimes wonder why I miss so many of the Christian themes throughout that series. So the books are about a, fa a group of eight children, British children, and four of them are the Pevensey siblings. Susan, Edmund, Lucy, and Peter. And their adventures as they get whisked in and out to the land of Narnia, usually to save the land from impending doom. And there are different heroes and heroines in all the stories and great climactic events. But perhaps the most unifying theme in all of the books is the presence of the safe, protective and somewhat terrifying presence of the mighty lion called Aslan. And in this particular book, where Courage, Dear Heart comes from, the children are on a boat, journeying into unknown and dark territory. And things are super scary. And the kids are wondering, if Aslan even knew what he was doing, if he had sent them in the right direction, or perhaps he'd made a mistake. 
And Lucy cries out in a terrifying moment, Aslan, Aslan, if you ever loved us at all, you would send help now. And she hears a whisper in the dark from her beautiful lion. And he says, courage, dear heart. And nothing changes. The circumstances don't change. But in the moment, she knows that she is not alone. And there is someone else bigger than themselves taking them forward. I love this part in the book, perhaps because it feels quite familiar. Are you anything like me? Do you ever travel into unknown waters and wonder if God even knows who you are? <laughs> wonder where he is? And have you ever cried out in the dark, God, if you loved me at all, surely you would rescue me, take me out of the situation, and now would be a really good time. Believe it or not, I prayed that in the worship of the first service. <laughs> and sometimes there's silence. Have you ever heard the silence? Where is he? And other times you hear the courage, dear heart, and he moves you forward. And he says, I've got you. You are right where you need to be. And I am there, carrying you, lifting you, and urging you forward. The thing about courage is that it requires something different for each one of us. And the, the most important thing of courage is that we don't get to judge. You see, what takes you courage to do your life might seem super easy for me. And what takes me courage might look ridiculously easy for you. You see, comparison kills courage. It will kill your courage. I love this statement by Theodore Roosevelt. Believe it or not, this was said in 1907. I think it was the Sorbonne Address, if I remember. I'm grabbing that from somewhere in my head. But he says this, it is not the critic that counts. It is not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man that is actually in the ring. And so I wonder this morning what it's going to take courage for you to do. Perhaps it's an addiction that you face. Perhaps it's a marriage that you're struggling to get through. And perhaps you need to have the courage to admit the truth to someone and get some help. Perhaps it's fulfilling a calling. Perhaps it's as simple as our general calling to all of us to love God with all our hearts, soul, and minds and to love our neighbor as yourself. Perhaps that's what is going to require courage this morning. And as I look over the room, I am overwhelmed at the amount of courage that sits in these seats. I know so many of you personally, and so many of you have dealt with really hard stuff. And what it takes for you to get up in the morning has taken an incredible amount of courage. We've got people here who have lost children. 
We have people that have lost parents, siblings. And yet every day you get up and you face your world and courage is contagious. It urges the rest of us forward. And so I could have built this talk around just about any life, the life of a pastor who for 10 years has led a church, walking into incredibly big shoes and more than filling those things up. And he's walked with courage as he's led us. I could have built this talk on his life or on Richard and Tanya who serve faithfully week after week after week. But this morning, I've built the talk on Luke chapter 22, the life of Jesus, a man and God who required incredible courage to walk through his destiny and his calling. Because the fascinating thing about courage is that often it's required to fulfill our calling. Have you noticed that in Scripture, how often it required courage? Think of Abraham to be the father of many nations. And what was his situation? He was fatherless for so many years. Joshua, the report of spy, the report of giants in the promised land. Joseph's life. Imagine the courage it took to walk through that calling. Peter, who denied Christ three times, and then was the church that the rock was built on. You see, to fulfill calling takes courage, and then we have Christ. I wonder how many crucifixions he had observed before he got to this point in his life. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray, that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He finds them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike him with our swords? I love this part. I can just imagine all your friends hating the people that hate you. <laughs> and one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus was not like that. He answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Number one. I believe this passage holds some incredible tools, some incredible truths for us as we are called to walk a life of courage with our Heavenly Father in our calling. Notice over here it says that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. 
Now, I find it super interesting in Luke's account of this event. Matthew and Mark have a much more detailed account. Luke's is quite economical with words. But he mentions these words as usual. Interesting. Very interesting throwing in there and use of words. Now, I can hear my Bible theology professors whispering in my ear, Marilyn, make sure when you teach the Bible, do not teach something as truth when it's only your opinion. So in honor of all of those great men who have gone before me, this is my opinion. This is my thought. This is my proposal. This is my suggestion. Jesus went out as usual, and the Mount of Olives was a place of prayer. So what he's showing us here is that what he did as usual was building him up for his moment of courage. How we spend our ordinary moments prepares us for our courageous ones. Aristotle has been quoted as saying, what we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. I found out last Saturday when we were having coffee with our kids that he didn't actually ever say this. He actually said, it is not one swallow or a fine day that makes spring, so not one day or a short time that makes a man happy or blessed. Clearly, that's why we use the second one. <laughs> His point was that it's our ordinary moments that impact all of our other moments. The unseen moments, the quiet times, the moments that Fedra and Adal sweated on the court, the times they hit the walls, the times they fought, perhaps with their spouses, I don't know. Perhaps that they wondered, am I born for this? And with sheer grit and tenacity and passion and perseverance, they came back and they spent their ordinary moments with more ordinary moments, with more ordinary moments, building up for what they were born for. Are you familiar with the word grit? Anybody heard of it? Angela Duckworth is a modern-day psychologist who's made this kind of a buzzword. She says there are no shortcuts to excellence. Developing real expertise, figuring out really hard problems, it all takes time. How long? Longer than most people imagine. So you want a good marriage? What are you investing? You want good relationships? When last did you read a book on relationships? What are you developing in your ordinary moments? You wanna be a great businessman, woman? How are you upskilling yourself? What are you doing in your ordinary moments to build a life of courageous, excellent moments? Number two, I love what Jesus did in his ordinary moments, and perhaps this is the absolute key to a life of courage. On reaching that place, he said to them, pray, why? So that you will not fall into temptation. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Notice in preparation for this event, Jesus prayed. He was the son of God. He was deity, three in one, that song that we sang said. And yet he needed to pray 
My challenge has been these last few weeks, how much more do we need to pray as children of God to walk in a life of courage that he calls us to? Courage requires prayer. I think that perhaps prayer might be the most underestimated aspect of the spiritual life. And I wonder why. I wonder if it is because it requires discipline. If you're anything like me, I go into my room, I put the cushion down next to my bed, and I start to pray. Three minutes later, I wonder what I could snack on. Do you think the dogs need to go out for a wee? I wonder what the Instagram social media feed could tell me. I'm so distracted. But prayer is a discipline. Some people call it a spiritual discipline that we need to develop in our lives. There's lots of information on prayer, and I love the time I learned how to pray through the book of Psalms. If you've never tried that, it's absolutely beautiful. But John Tyson preaches a sermon on prayer. He spoke it about two years ago. Absolutely phenomenal teacher. And he breaks prayer up into three categories, all of which are recommended in Scripture. The first one is our request prayer. I would imagine you're all familiar with that. Lord, give me this. Please give me that. Please give me that. You're probably more spiritual than I am. (laughs) But the Bible teaches us that God is a good father, and he wants to give his children good things. And I wonder if it's similar, but so much more than I feel about our kids. I just want to give them the world. You know, Christmas time, there are no limits. Well, my husband's laughing. There should be limits. But we always think about our kids like, We just want to have generous hearts. We want to give them as much as we possibly can because of sheer love. Can you imagine how much more the Heavenly Father thinks of us? Just wants to adore us with His love, generous-hearted, as a perfect Father. And those are beautiful prayers, and He expects them of us, and we're instructed to do that. And then there are the relationship prayers. This is what David talked about where he says that he just wants to sit in the presence of God and gaze upon his beauty. Have you ever had that moment in your prayer time where you just get into that place and everything is so magnificent and you are in absolute awe of the Father? That might have happened to you in worship this morning. Absolutely, beautifully unique time. That's where intimacy is built, in the relationship prayers. And then we have the prayer of relinquishment. This is a tough one. This is when we give up our desire for a specific result to the will of our Father. There's tension in this because we know He's good, and so we wrestle for good things. And that brings us, oh, let me just add this. I love these words. I love these words that John Tyson speaks. Careful, prayer will change you. And if you ever have more than three minutes with God, you come up different. Everything in you. You know, I start with the request. I move into the relationship, and by the end, I'm relinquished. Because in God's presence, that's all that can happen. Be bold. I dare you. I dare you. Spend some time with the Heavenly Father this week and watch a life of courage being built in you.
And here is perhaps the prayer of surrender. Look at what Jesus prayed in his moment of anguish. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Number three, I believe, I think, I propose, I suggest. <laughs> Courage is a product of authentic surrender. Now, I looked at a whole lot of stuff by different theologians this week about this prayer. Father, if you are willing. And literally, theologians do mental gymnastics with this. Because surely Jesus is the Son of God. His will could not have been contrary to God's will, right? And so one guy even suggested that the cup that he was asking Jesus to take was actually the cup of his blood, a physical disorder that was happening to him in exchange because Jesus could never have prayed this. I've looked at it. I even looked at all the original Greek words and took them one by one to see what this meant. And this is what it means. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done but yours. And so I had a look at the root word of courage. The Latin root of courage is a word called core. Do you know what core means? It means heart. And do you know that long ago, courage was not looked at as a once-off heroic act? But instead, it meant to speak one's mind by telling one's whole heart. I believe that this is a moment that we are given, an intimate moment in Jesus' life with the Father, and we are given the privilege of seeing an authenticity in prayer. Father, if you are willing, everything he was born for, everything that he was predestined for, everything that was wrapped up in the DNA of his calling, Father, if you are willing, could you please take this cup from me? But I love that his prayer doesn't end here. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. A complete surrender to the will of the Father. Giving up his right for an expected, perhaps hopeful, outcome. Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever had that thought, Father, if you could do this any other way in my life, would you please do it? You're in good company. Courage is not an absence of a suggestion for something else. Courage is an authentic surrender to the will of God. If I had a favorite verse in the Bible, I think it might be this one. It might surprise you. But after Jesus' authentic surrender, look what happens. And being in anguish, he prays more earnestly. You see, sometimes an authentic surrender to the will of God creates anguish. And you see, we in church, you know, we're supposed to be too spiritual to be anguished, right? I mean, anguish is a negative emotion, isn't it? It's one of those bad ones that only the weak people feel. <laughs> it 
If you've experienced that in church, I apologize on behalf of church. I pray that we will be a church where you can come with great anguish and no one will look down their nose at you and criticize, but they will celebrate that you are the one in the ring and that what takes to do your life requires great courage and we celebrate that. Because courage and anguish are not mutually exclusive. If you have felt anguish in the last week, you are in good company. Number five, courage might require going alone. Guess what? You are never alone, never. His best mates, who he asks to go and pray with them, he's walked with them, they know what's coming. What do they do? They fall asleep. He's a stone's throw away. I mean, come on, could they not just watch with him for that one hour? Imagine how alone he felt. But he wasn't, was he? Because we see in verse 43, an angel had appeared to him and strengthened him. The Bible talks about angels being messengers and ministers. Angels come and minister to our souls. I love Anna's picture this morning. I see the eagle, I see the angel. How many times have you gone to sleep at night and you've cried out to God like Lucy, help, if you loved me at all, you would be there. And in the morning, what comes? The joy. I often wake up in the morning and wonder how many angels visited my space that night and ministered, this is a suggestion to my professors, and ministered to my heart and healed my soul because I cried out, help, because that's who God is. You are never alone, even if you feel alone. Number six, my suggestion is the best kind of courage is motivated by compassion. You see, there are a lot of, a lot of motivations for courageous acts. I wonder if some of them are to be significant, to be admired, to be adored. Look at Jesus' response here in this moment where perhaps you might have been tempted to leave the ear off. He answers no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And literally, this is what Jesus' whole life was about. Every miracle came with criticism. Every great act came with some kind of disdain. What was his motivation? To own stuff, to have significance, to be approved of, for people to think amazing things of him? Even his mother and his siblings thought he might be crazy. The people in Nazareth wanted to throw him off a cliff. The religious readers were disgusted with how he challenged their theology. You see, he knew that everything that motivated him to this courageous act 
was compassion for the one. Is compassion motivating you to courage? I know Tanya went to the hospital a night a couple of weeks ago and she was so motivated by compassion that she started going bed to bed, asking them if they were secure in their eternity. Motivated compassion. Would you not be motivated by maybe what somebody would think? But securing eternity is a compassionate act because it's not about what people think of us. Your calling, is it motivated by compassion? Is your life motivated by compassion as you go to work every day? Do you see the people in front of you? M. Scott Peck tells a brilliant story about when he was 15, and he has a whole conversation with someone where all he is thinking about is what the person is thinking of him. He puts it absolutely brilliantly. Have you ever had those conversations? What can I say funny in the next few minutes to make everybody think I'm amazing? Do you think that that ends at 15? Or do you think at 53 we're still struggling with the same thing? You see, everything we do, unless it's motivated by compassion, it will get robbed somewhere in the grit and the tenacity. Grit, Angela Duckworth said, is a combination of passion and perseverance. Let your passion be your compassion. Number seven, Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? This is an unfortunate term that Jesus uses in this moment. The very reason he is being crucified is because of his unfortunate claims as a redeemer, as a savior. That's why he's going to the cross. If I had been him at this moment, I would have been the poor carpenter from Nazareth. Just little old me, don't look. But instead what he does is he proclaims who he is. And this is a reference to Daniel, I think chapter 7, where Daniel talks about a redeemer who will bring in a kingdom. This was not the smartest thing to say in the moment. But Jesus could not do anything else in his stressful moment but speak his identity, what he was called for. He knew who he belonged to. Courage comes from your identity. Your marriage that you're struggling with, you know how you're going to do it? You are a daughter of the king. That job that you're going into, the calling that you've had that looks dark and unknown and you wonder where God is, you are a son of the Most High God. That is who you, who you are. That is who you belong to. And that is where your courage will come from. No one had his identity more threatened than Jesus. And yet in the moment of stress, in his moment of anguish, where does he go to for his courage? He declares who he belongs to. Who do you belong to? Declare it over yourself. I am a daughter of the Most High God. I am a son of the glorious King. I have been born to fulfill a destiny filled with courage because of who I belong to. Believe it. Walk in it. Monday morning, wake up in it. When you go home in the car, live in it because this is who you are. 
Shall we stand and pray? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your declaration over us and that we belong to you. We thank you that you give us identity that has got nothing to do with what we own, what we do, nobody else's expectations, but that we surely exist in whose we are. And Lord, we thank you for that. If there's anyone today that has come that is not sure of their identity, you don't know who you belong to. I just would like to encourage you to come forward. There are going to be a group of people here praying, and we don't want to miss an opportunity of someone coming into the kingdom. And so I'd encourage you to do that. And then if there's somebody here that needs to have courage to share your whole heart with authenticity, and surrender. Please come forward, share your struggle with someone, and watch them celebrate you and cheer you on as you're in your ring. Lord, I pray blessing on every single person that's represented here and every single family. Use us, mold us, make us into a version that looks like you. In Jesus' name, amen.